0: Welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tirasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Nancy Conrad, picking up the story of missing baby
1: William and his mother, Madeline, Maddie, Jones, for the Modern Divorce Podcast. In our fourth episode, we are from Andrea Gokenauer, Jake's mom and first-time grandma, to the missing baby William. When the baby first went missing, which was right after Jake, the father, was supposed to have court-ordered parenting time with William, it was because he was, quote, sick. The Jones family said they couldn't deliver baby William for that reason on the day before he disappeared with his mother. Well, it seemed kind of suspicious, honestly, but, well, there was the possibility of it being the truth. You may recall in our last episode, there was a critical point later in that fateful summer when Andrea and her sister Rachel discovered something that decidedly changed the way they thought about the case.
2: Um, The moment that I think it really changed for me was when we had had a rally where we had volunteers come to get the flyers that we printed out. We printed out thousands of flyers. And we had volunteers come that would put up flyers for us all over Mesa. And when we left the rally, we had bought donuts and we bought water bottles and all these kind of things for the rally. And we had all these donuts and water bottles. And I said to my sister, what are we gonna do with these? And she said, well, maybe there's a women's shelter around that we could, you know, just women's shelter, women and children, we could go take these to the women's shelter. And so I literally was navigating on the phone so we could find a place to take this big box of donuts and bottles of water and things. And I'm navigating with her. um, And as we turn around to head to the women's shelter, there's the Jones car with the little girl running out to pull off the poster. And that was the moment that I thought no family that was really thinking she was missing would want one less iota of publicity. And so that's when you knew. That's okay. when I felt like the surety that they're involved. Okay. Like that's when I knew was that moment. Cause I thought if my child was missing and people I didn't like were hanging up posters saying, find her, I would say, thank you, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's the moment that it felt like, okay, we, there's no more scary. Fe- I mean, the scary feeling was how long will they hide her? The scary feeling was, did the Jones parents hurt them? Um, you still had all those kind of feelings, but it no longer felt like a stranger could be involved in taking them.
1: Did Did you feel like the police were looking at Jacob as?
2: Oh yes, a suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had. They came up to Montana. They questioned um, family members. They came to our farm, they came to our house. Um, so they were very active that way. We went into the police station, got interviewed by the police, um, had a couple more calls where they would ask some clarifying questions. Um, I was pretty proactive with, with Jacob. I encouraged him to be. Um, I said, show them where you spent money, show them you know, where your finances have been so they can see what you've been doing. Um, Billy had advised us not to actually turn over our cell phone because we had been communicating with her, and she had a concern that that may uh, breach attorney-client privilege. And so that was that was her impression. And so we, we didn't actually turn over our cell phones, but we did turn over all of our you know all of our receipts about all the places we've been and spent money. And then the other thing that I was uh, really proactive about was as we came across leads because we did hire a private detective. Um, As we came across leads, as soon as I had even a smidgen of information, I would send it to the detectives. You know, here's what we've discovered. Here's what we've discovered. Here's what we've discovered. And so I tried to be proactive. And and then it I think because Jacob was still on the list of suspects, they didn't fill us in on anything. They Mm -hmm. couldn't talk back. And so they couldn't say, oh, we know that, or, oh, that's helpful, or here's what we found out, or here's what we think. They wouldn't tell us anything.
1: Then it becomes a new ball game for the Gokinars and for the social media sleuths. Still, while there was no actual proof, and as Andrea had explained, there was zero feedback from the police. So many people continued to think Jake had done something awful, and the Gokenars were helpless to defend themselves
2: and that felt really scary too because Jacob was getting um, threatening text messages about just from strangers. The first day, the first Sunday after this happened, so they went missing, I think it was on a Friday or Saturday. It's funny to me, I don't know the details anymore. I didn't think they would ever be unsinged from my brain. But as we um, went to church, we were sitting there and his phone just beep, 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 and he went to turn it down. He's like, mom, look at this. And there were strangers on Facebook saying, I will do to you what you did to this baby. Like, and it was the classic, they thought the ex-husband did it kind of thing. So the public was getting really crazy. And so it felt like, could we be in danger? But then I still have young children. I mean, my youngest daughter at the time was three years old, four years old. And and the other thing is I didn't want Jacob alone. Yeah. We didn't want him left alone because originally we were gonna get him all set up and then we're gonna leave him there to start his life down there. And when all this was going on, I thought, mm, I don't want him, I don't want him to be alone. I didn't want strangers to hurt him. I didn't want the Jones to make up some new story. It just felt really just just scary. And so, yeah, we tried to always have somebody with them. So the ugliest one, ones of them were for the first few weeks. Um, well, maybe even the first few months, we were pretty good at blocking them as fast as they were coming in. Um, so that probably helped. In retrospect, I probably should have screenshotted things, but at the moment you just think, I want this gone. This is right. <laughs> this is icky and awful and you just want it gone. So um, yeah, probably for just the first, it seemed like the, as the public became aware of everything and as even for the public, facts weren't fitting together, that they quickly um, maybe weren't pro-Jacob, but didn't necessarily more anti-Jacob, if that makes sense.
1: The threats did indeed start disappearing as more and more evidence became available on social media, which helped support Andrea and her belief that Manny and the baby had not been kidnapped by some random stranger.
2: Yeah. And when we first discovered the Facebook page, I can't tell you how good for the soul it was because people were discussing the facts that didn't fit. And we thought somebody else sees it, you know, because sometimes you don't know if, if, what's true and real is as obvious to everybody else you know and so it was it was hard in the beginning because we didn't know if just everyone thought he was a monster and thought that you know the baby was gone and all those kind of things and when we started seeing the facebook page discussions it was really good for our souls because it felt like okay the truth will be understood that you know there's because what we really needed was if somebody else was involved maybe they were involved because they believed Jacob was a bad guy and they thought they were helping mom and baby. And so what was really important to us was to turn the tide so that if somebody had information, they weren't afraid to share that information. So as people very organically were sharing the story back and forth, and gosh, this doesn't add up, and gosh, this was my bad experience with the Jones and this and this, I thought, okay, it's a possibility That somebody will not stay quiet that knows something. And so that was what felt the best was, um, yeah, just that somebody might be willing to come forward. So talk to me about that
1: period of time where you were in limbo um, and the whole family was in in limbo, not knowing where the Mm -hmm. baby was because this was a period of about, what was it, like almost four months?
2: Four months. Mm -hmm. The hardest part was, well, a hard part. I don't know if it's the hardest part. Hardest part was financially, oh. um, what do you commit to? You know, the the private detective was thousands of dollars a week. Um, Billy's help was a lot of money to do that. We had subpoenas, we had um, court reporters, we had different court hearings, we had, you know, records that we had to get. So all those things, and then flying back and forth between cities and printing flyers. And, you know, just, there was a lot of expense. And so one of the things that was difficult was how do you put a price tag right. on this goal that our family had to find him and the baby and make sure he was well? And how do you how do you say we're gonna spend X amount of dollars and when you get there you stop? Like it just felt so if your resources aren't to help your family, what are your resources for? You know, so it just felt very surreal that part. But it was strange to me how easily they could make my life expensive just as a for example she went to the courthouse and filed a restraining order against me that cost her about an hour of time i don't even think there's a filing fee you know um so then i spend hours and hours and hours gathering evidence and documents i hire an attorney the attorney approaches them about dropping it they say no we're not going to drop it i fly to arizona the day before the court they drop it and so things like that literally cost them nothing yeah. and cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. And it, and they had a knack for doing that. Like just for instance, with uh, filing the order for the baby emergency that he can't be away from her for more than two hours at a time. Again, filing that was very simple, but the process of paying for the pediatricians and having another court hearing and you know, all those kind of things, most of the burden of that would fall on our side of things and that was like it just felt like a skill that they had we, we often said that we said they're so creative they're so creative <laughs> in making making our life harder you know how easily they could do something really quick that would cause all these
1: and that's the frustrating thing for me because we see that out in the public now and in social media
2: mm-hmm.
1: lies end up taking on a life of their own and mm-hmm. become so costly to the people that are on the brunt of that. And Mm -hmm. and what you were talking about just describes this is the cost of a lie. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just as another example. So predate all this when, um, before we got Billy involved, when we had the first attorney, and he had tried to set up parenting time. We said, we'll, we'll do it under any conditions pre-trial, you know, because we had to have a trial for the judge to hear everything. But we said, pre-trial, give us any conditions and, and we, Jacob will meet them. And so the um, the attorney got arranged that he would be able to go to another parenting center. And we said, that's fine. And so when we show up to sign the paperwork for the parenting center, she had already come and said, if Jacob comes, he can't feed the baby, change the baby. Like she had all these rules that he wasn't to do any of these things with the baby. Yeah, couldn't bring toys for him. Couldn't, I mean, it was a long, very long list. And um, the parenting center said, we can't abide by this. Well, because they wouldn't abide by that, we couldn't see baby. So that's how powerful she was because she I don't know because she threw a fit, and because she told, because she told that parenting center that was one of the times we had it in writing, that Jacob had um, hurt the baby so so dramatically that he needed reconstructive surgery on his little private parts. Um, that was in the writing in this parenting center, that he had had to have surgery to reconstruct things. So that lie, for example, delayed him meeting baby for months and months and months and months. And so that those kind of things, again, it took her very little effort, but the ripples to us were so dramatic and profound. We had gone to court and basically asked the judge if we could have access to their records, um, which this is Billy's idea. And I thought, there's no way the judge is going to give me their records. And we made the argument because I do accounting. I said, you know, there might be patterns that I would see that the police might not see as quickly. And I thought, well, this is just Uh, exercise and going to ask him but he's going to say no and the judge said yes and so we were able to get their phone records we were able to get their credit card records their bank records so I knew everywhere they'd spent money the months leading up to the disappearance and so we took them we actually print I don't know if Rachel told you about this we printed out a map oh my goodness what was the size of that map it was 10 by you know eight this huge map on the wall and we used the GPS coordination, the uh, not GPS, but the longitude and latitude, on the phone records, and had pinpointed all the places they made calls during the day. And then we took the police report, and with a different color, we pinpointed where they said they were during the day, and we could go, oh look, at noon their phone calls ringing from here, but they told the police they were here, and so we could really easily find the spots where this wasn't adding up, and. And uh, we had the records of where they'd pulled out the extra money. And so all those things were starting to, to kind of come together
3: for us. But the thing that really came together was when we looked at the phone records.
1: So Rachel picks, picks up the story record. from here.
3: And through that, we were able to get GPS coordinates and things like that off of their phones from where they had been and get see who had called and whatnot. I had this huge map, you know, like, <laughs> you know, how in the shows, they always have strings and things going on. I had that in my basement. I had the map I printed out was probably um, 30 by, I don't know, 60. Wow. I, it was huge. This huge map. And like I said, I don't know Arizona super well. So I had to blow it up big enough to see the streets. <laughs> I had to, you know, it's the, this GPS location versus this time, going off of what they claimed was their story for the day. And I had pins going for each person, where each person's phone went. And I zigzagged and said, and I was like, that's not what they said they were. They said they were over here, but they're like 10 miles away over here. And, you know, so I was able to do that. Wow. Um, and so going through those same phone records on the night Maddie supposedly went missing, I saw that there was a random midnight call from a phone number. So I went through every single phone number on their, um, you know, on their record, looked up who everyone was because I'm gonna do as much work as I can. And uh, I find out this is Stacy Baird's phone number, and it's a midnight call.
1: That's a new name in the case, Stacy Baird. Who is that? Well, it turns out Stacy's a good friend of Cassie Jones. The phone records show numerous calls between the two of them, and several oddly timed ones on the night baby William and his mother Madeline go missing it opens up a potentially juicy new lead that had Andrea and her sister, Rachel, thinking this was an opportunity. A
2: spreadsheet of what friends called normally and how often they called. And the pattern that they found was that the one gal, Stacy Baird, um, that they usually talk to her once a day. I mean, pretty consistently for the two months leading up to the disappearance. And then the day before baby goes missing, there's a dozen calls. And then radio silence. There were no calls after that and i called billy and i said "Gosh, we'd really like to question this gal because we think that she must be involved it just doesn't make sense that somebody you talk to every day once baby goes missing she's not saying any news you know there was no calls it just seemed unusual to me and so we, billy made the arrangements for us to uh, have a de- deposition with her and we went through got the court reporter got the you know the videographer all those things lined up And then the day of the, um, deposition, she didn't show up. And so the rule was, if you have a court order to come to a deposition and you don't show up, you can call the police. And so we called the police to report that she had not showed up. And that's when the police finally let us in on it. And they said, that's because she just turned herself in. Um, you guys really scared her when you called her in for the deposition. She didn't want to lie under oath. So she is here talking to us. Please don't say anything because we need to find where baby is. And that was the moment you thought, oh, you know, this is this is getting real.
1: It certainly was. In fact, even without knowing what was going on with this new lead, the social media chatter was a buzz. Now, by this time, it was already late September, and baby William had been gone since June. The social media sleuths on Facebook had drawn their own conclusions that the two were in hiding, although there was no proof. In fact, some of the Joneses' neighbors began taking notes of the comings and goings of Cassie and Roland Alex Jones in the hopes that they might see something. And one night, when it looked like they were packing up the car for a trip, Things yeah, really we took a turn,
2: is, but we do and the
1: public heard, heard about are. it
0: on there the 5 o'clock news. custody arrested for trying to board a plane today at Sky Harbor. Where they were heading is still a mystery.
1: ABC 15's Chris Grove picks up our coverage from
2: here.
0: Gone since June, the disappearance of Madeline Jones and her son, one-year-old William, has left more than just broken hearts behind. Now there's a cloud of mystery changing this case day by day. Mesa police believe Cassie and Roland Jones may have helped their daughter, Madeline, vanish. It was Roland who called police to report his daughter and grandson missing. The Jones, we know, also spent months trying to convince the courts that the baby's biological father, Jake Gokiner, was unfit to be a parent. And then when I finally awarded Drake custody in June, I got a day and a half of parenting time, and then my ex wife took off with my son. We spoke with Gokiner's attorney tonight. She believes the Joneses were trying to vanish, too, by escaping on a plane here at Sky Harbor. And they actually had people that said they're going to run. We're going to follow them. So that may be Facebook, maybe how um, we stopped them at the airport from running. Now that the grandparents are in custody, there could be a deal on the table to find William and his mom. To the judge is um, their flight risk. Do not release them on bond unless William is returned. And if William is returned, then release them on bond and we'll work it out. Justice will have to um, play itself out. The Joneses were processed and booked here at the Mesa Police Department. I'm told they're about to see a judge, though, at the Fourth Avenue Jail in Phoenix. Reporting live in Mesa, Chris Grow, ABC 15,
1: Arizona. Well, this was huge. News reports showing Cassie and Roland Jones in shackles was a gigantic relief to the Gokinars. Hundreds of people on Facebook sounded off their congratulations and their hurrahs. But there was still no baby William and no Maddie Jones. In our next episode, we learn what the police were up to and come to an end in our story.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.